0: My name is Brandon, I'm one of the pastors here at Legacy, whether you're joining us online, on television, or right here in the sanctuary, we're so glad you decided to spend just a little bit of your December Sunday with us. We are in week three of the Advent season. This is the time we look back to look forward. We look back, as we remember Jesus arriving as a baby in a manger, to remind ourselves, to prepare ourselves, to actively wait to work because Jesus is coming again. In his return, we not only fully restore each one of us, but the entire world and creation as well. On this, the third Sunday of Advent, we celebrate joy. So these days, what brings joy to you? It, is it a good meal after a long day at work? It Might be spending good time with good people where you don't have to be on, where you can just be you. It might be starting your day with exercise or an incredible belly laugh after a long and stressful week at work. These days, I'm finding joy in annoying my family in our family group text chat with cat and dog memes, like this. (laughs) I thought it was appropriate going into Christmas. We all want that family photo, and we all have that one family member that's going to ruin that photo for everyone. We've got a couple of cats at our place, and this one speaks truth. (laughs) You cat can fit wherever your tiny little head can go, and you're telling me you can't figure out how to get food out of the side of the bowl? I am not buying it. Now, if good friends bring you joy, you'll enjoy this. Find your people and vibe with them. Last, well, (laughs) Last for you, but not last for my poor, long-suffering family, Um, our, our dog has this arch enemy in the backyard, a squirrel, and she whines so much to go out and get the squirrel, and she's never caught it. Squirrel always makes it up a tree every single time. So I thought of her with this one. She is all brown, so she looks quite a bit like that dog. Well, friends, biblical joy carries this bit of happiness and laughter with it. We have scripture that talks about just the joy in the world, the joy of an abundant harvest, the joy that good wine brings. The Bible speaks about joy in weddings, in children, and even in friends. Just as perfume brings a sweet smell to our nose, so does good friends. Biblical joy can be about a good mood and happiness, but there is a whole lot more to it than that. Because we know the world isn't all roses and candy canes. Our world has been corrupted by death and loss, by sin, by humans missing the mark of not loving God fully and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Not to mention the world doesn't work like it was supposed to. There's natural disasters and diseases. Even knowing all that, even knowing all of that, we as Christians can still be people of joy, of joy no matter our circumstances, of joy in the middle, of dark places and dark times. Joy is an attitude we adopt, not because of our happy mood or great circumstances, but because of God's promises and God's faithfulness in the past, present, and future. Joy means we have a peace. We have a certainty in what God will do in spite of all the pain and suffering and loss around us. Biblical joy comes not from our own personal feelings or circumstances at a given moment, but from the faithfulness of our Lord. We see the people in the Bible do this over and over again. The Hebrews, just freed from slavery in Egypt, find themselves in the middle of the desert, not sure what's next. What do they do? They rejoice. In the middle of the uncertainty of what's going to come, they give thanks and joy to God for God's faithfulness. It took hundreds of years to be freed from slavery, and yet they gave thanks to God for God's saving and fulfilling of promises. Paul, the first century church planter, he's in prison. He writes about his joy in Jesus in the little book of the Philippians. While in prison, Paul still had a joy that came from a place beyond his present situation from Jesus, the God who keeps promises. Now, don't mishear me today. Biblical joy is not, turn that frown upside down. Turn that frown upside down. It is not a false pasted on joy when you're just not feeling it. Biblical joy is rejoicing in the midst of pain and suffering and loss. We don't minimize loss. We don't ignore it. We deal with loss. We walk through grief. We carry the scars with us of those that we've lost and the things done to us. The wounds that have healed still leave a mark on us. Just like the season of Advent acknowledges light in the midst of a dark world, we carry the light. We carry the joy of Jesus in us in the midst of the dark world and things done to us. Paul faced hardships so many times, so many. And in spite of that, he still had joy. He writes, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing and yet we have everything. The earliest Christian community had heartache and pain frequently, yet they had a joy beyond all of that. We don't have a turn that frown upside down cliche of joy. If you want a replacement saying, take this from Paul, our hearts ache, but we still have joy. Our hearts ache, but we still have joy. I love that. We have joy in the midst through Walking with grief and loss, that is so much better than some of the cliches we can throw around. We trust Jesus, that loss and pain and grief is not the final word. The scripture and the season of Advent tell us Jesus is coming again to bring the new heaven and new earth. We trust Jesus, we trust that. Friends, Christian joy is a profound decision of faith and hope in the power of Jesus' life and love. May you choose to live that kind of joy in Jesus every day, no matter what you might be going through right now. It is probably no surprise that today our Christmas song we're diving into is the classic Joy to the World. Now, it's unique among the classic Christmas songs because it's not based in the Christmas story. It doesn't get inspired by angels or shepherds or Jesus' birth story. This song talks about Jesus' second coming. This song, Joy to the World, was birthed from a psalm. It was birthed from a song, a poem in the Old Testament. It's in the first part of your Bible in Psalm 98. You can flip there now in your Bible or on your favorite device, or you can follow along on the screen with me. Now, the book of Psalms is a song and a prayer book for the people of Israel. Now, it covers a wide range of human emotions, all of them. Joy to sadness, happiness to lament, anger to contentment. If you have ever felt like you're praying something you shouldn't, that you're praying too honestly, you're praying too forthright, the Psalms remind you there is no such thing. There is no such thing as praying too honestly. The Psalms show people praying to God at their most raw, their most real. Friends, pray whatever is on your heart and mind. Let God speak to you in that very real moment. We find hope, healing, and wholeness as Jesus encounters our real emotions and our need in prayer. Psalm 98, it is full of joy and praise. Help us to remember all the things God has done in the past because God keeps promises. God is faithful to do what God has said God's going to do. Biblical joy is based right here, not on our own feelings, but on God's faithfulness. It is the latter part of this psalm that inspired Isaac Watts, the early 1700s, English poet and clergy to write Joy to the World. He was inspired in Psalm 98, starting in verse 4. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord. He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. Joy and praise and thanksgiving ooze from this psalm, giving birth to the song that we sing. Now, Isaac Watts wasn't the only contributor to this song. Someone pieced together bits and pieces of music from Handel's Messiah and gave us the original tune that we sing to. The third and final contributor was Lowell Mason. He was a Boston music teacher, and he tweaked the tune and added that echo that some of you know, where at the end of And Heaven and Nature Sing, you sing with a low bass or baritone voice, and heaven and nature sing, and echo back. That was a popular early American way to treat a song. So this favorite Christmas song of ours is in fact not about Jesus' birth, but about his return. And it comes from an Old Testament psalm, such a music composed in England and pieced together across the ocean here in the U.S. Not the typical journey for a a well-known Christmas tune, but pretty cool. Without further ado, let's take a look at verse 1 of Joy to the World. This is the verse where, when we're especially in a Christmas mindset, we think this is about Jesus coming as a baby. The Lord is come. We totally get that when we're thinking about, and we're in December and talking about Christmas. But it's not about his first revival, first arrival. It's about his return. While well, it's wonderful to celebrate Christmas every year, we've got to be careful not to let our faith enter into a state of arrested development. We only ever encounter Jesus as a cute little baby in a manger. We end up praying like Ricky Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights to a six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus because he's our favorite. Because that Jesus is cute, that Jesus doesn't ask anything of us, doesn't ask us to change, doesn't ask us to give generously, doesn't ask us to act generously, doesn't ask us to love regardless of any beef we've got with somebody else. Living in a permanent Jesus as a baby manger state causes our faith to be underdeveloped. Jesus grows up, dies for us, and rises again to inaugurate the end of the beginning, the end of this world in a broken and decaying and sinful state, and the certainty that the new heaven and the new earth will arrive one day. That arrival will not only restore us, but the whole broken world as well. Joy to the world is pointing to Jesus' return, that day that Jesus comes in power to restore everything like it should have been in the beginning. On that day, the earth receives her king, all of heaven and nature sing, there will be joy everywhere. This imagery is biblical. Jesus on the throne is the king. In the new heaven and new earth, on the throne, we hear this from the book of Revelation. Look, God's home is now among his people. He'll live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. How can we have joy when people hurt others, when innocent people are abused, sold into slavery, murdered? How can we have joy when people die of hunger and sickness and preventable illness? How can we possibly have joy? Because joy comes from God, not our circumstances. Because we work to bring light to all those dark places, meeting people in their grief and providing food and medicine and shelter and care. We give away our Christmas Eve offering every year when we have needs of our own at the church because the church is only the church when it exists for others. In our case, we provide shelter and advocate so that homelessness becomes a rare and one-time occurrence in our region. Even though we can't bring the new heaven and new earth, that is God's work. We still try to live it even in today in the way we interact with and engage with each other. We do that because Jesus compels us, goes with us, and we know one day all that pain and suffering and death will be gone forever. Jesus said so, God said so, God is faithful to keep God's promises. That's how we can still have joy when there are so many reasons to not have joy. Let's take a look at verse two. Verse notes that creation itself, rocks and hills, plains, fields, repeat the same joy, joy to the earth, even the rocks cry out. On the very first Palm Sunday, so many years ago, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, there's a parade, there's palms, people are shouting and cheering, and some folks ask Jesus to tell those people to stop. And Jesus replies, if I told these people to stop, even the rocks would cry out, They would cry out with joy because earth was receiving her king. People were preparing him room. Joy to the earth. The Savior reigns. You know, we are more tied to creation of the world than we realize. Paul writes a powerful passage in the book of Romans noting that creation, not just us humans, are groaning and lamenting and waiting for the restoration of all things. Romans chapter 8, he writes, What we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up. To the present time. Verse one, we humans make room for the king. Verse two, the earth is also waiting for the king. Creation itself groans for that future day when death and decay are no more. Just like we care for other human beings made in the image of God, we care for the world God made for us to enjoy. The world is important because our final destination is not heaven away from here, but a new heaven and new earth in this place. Now, we've been so influenced by a disembodied view of heaven in our world, uh, this living forever as spirits in some afterlife realm forever, we need the adjustment joy to the world and scripture gives. Our time as disembodied spirits is limited. That's not our final destination. We will spend eternity in resurrected bodies in a new heaven and new earth with no death, no decay. Now, this sounds weird, right? For an Advent message, disembodied spirits, resurrected bodies that don't break down. Not exactly the content of daily conversation, right? We got World Cup games to talk about, American football, shopping for presents for our loved ones. We got to get ready for a snowstorm potentially. But this is a core belief. This is a core belief of Christianity. Every time we confess the Apostles' Creed together, we say, I believe in the resurrection. Of the body. That's what it means, an eternal existence in a body like we have today. God coming to earth in Jesus to be with us, like us, in a human body, putting on flesh. God doesn't curse a physical existence, God redeems it, makes a pathway for us to live a redeemed physical existence in a new heaven and a new earth that will never end. It will be so because God keeps promises. Joy to the earth. The savior reigns. Let's look at verse three. So this one makes me ask, what is the curse? It's a reference to Genesis three, where Adam Adam and Eve received the consequences of eating of that tree they were not supposed to eat from. The ground shall be cursed all the days of your life. Now this verse gives you the Christian flavor, gives you the denominational background of the writer of Isaac Watts. He was a reformed theologian, we call a Calvinist. We here are Methodists, and Methodists and Calvinists don't agree on everything. Calvinists would say, among other things, humans are totally depraved. We are completely and totally with sin. We are wicked to the core. We can't do anything good. We need Jesus to redeem us. We Methodists would say, okay, yes, we are, sin has done a lot of damage to us, but there's still a flicker. There's still a glimmer. There's still that little spark in each one of us where we can make the choice to follow Jesus. And our experience shows us there's even non-Christians, other religions, non-religious, they are bringing light and love as well. That comes, comes out of that same glimmer that's inside of every single human being. Calvinists would say we're totally wicked. Methodists would say we're almost wicked. We've got that little spark that is still there. We still have that capacity to choose Jesus for ourselves, to say yes or no to the lordship in our lives. Both groups agree that it is God through Jesus. It is God through Jesus that breaks the power of sin in our lives. And in that future place where death and decay are no more, there will not be sorrows or sins, no more missing God's mark ever. Now one hymnal, interestingly enough, this is a Calvinist hymnal, rewrote the verse to say it like this. No more let thorns infest the ground or sins and sorrows grow. Wherever pain and death are found, he makes his blessings flow. I like it. It's a more Methodist take. All Christians look forward to that day when sin and sorrows no more infest the ground. One final verse to bring us joy today. Here's verse 4. Does any doubt the song points to Jesus' return? It is this one, the mention of the nations. He'll have complete influence over all of the nations. Jesus will rule. He'll rule with truth and grace through the wonders of his love. We look forward to this day with joy when the new heaven and new earth are ruled by Christ where death and decay are no more. And until that day, we live out a commandment. We live out an old and new commandment mentioned throughout our Bibles. And here it is in 1 John, a little letter in your Bible. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one you've heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another, it is the same message you heard before. And it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. Friends, the new heaven and new earth is coming. The darkness is slowly disappearing and the true light, Jesus, is already shining. May we go and love each other through our words, our thoughts, and our actions and deeds. And may we develop a joy beyond our circumstances and feelings, a joy based in God's promises and God's faithfulness. May it be so. Amen. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we are a people that hope from the future. The new heaven and new earth are coming already. In spite of the darkness that can so overwhelm us individually and as communities, may we find our joy in you, the one who lived, died, and rose again for us to be in daily relationship with God. May we rest in that joy, regardless of the events going on in our lives right now. It is in your resurrected Savior's name that we pray together. Amen.